Welcome to the Bourbon Boys. Uh, this week I'm joined by a very good, very uh, esteemed guest, uh, Tyler Johnson. What's up, Tyler? Hey, great to be back, man. Um, and for my first question, which I didn't put on uh, the list that I, of topics we're going to go over, but he knows now because we've already done this once. Uh, should I rename the podcast to Bourbon Boy Drop the Z because you're never on it? Alright, uh to our next or to our first question, uh that's the second time around, uh a subject that's near and dear to both of our hearts, MGP. Uh more more specifically, Boone County fourteen's uh eruption this past week on the secondary markets, and then to a lesser extent or considering who you are, to a bigger extent just an overall explosion of MGP on the secondary market this past two weeks. What do you think about it? Um, it's, it's, you know, it's great. I mean, it has some bad parts to it too, you know, because of, you know, how, how hard it will be for us to acquire more of it. But, you know, you and I have gotten a, an early jump on the MGP, MGP train. So, um, it's nice to see that it's getting its recognition. Um, yeah, I mean, there's definitely been a, a, an eruption lately. Um, yeah, the Boone County 14s just dropped recently. Um, those have been carrying a pretty heavy value. Um, it's nice to see Smooth Ambler finally, um, spiking in value because, you know, a couple of months back, uh, you know, some of the other, uh, MGPs that kind of came out of nowhere were carrying some, uh, some heavy value, like the mic drops in the Boone Counties and stuff like that. And, and you can still acquire, um, you know, Smooth Ambler for a really good price. Um, but now that's even out the door. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's good and bad. It's nice to see, um, you know, it's, it's getting its recognition because, you know, we've been in love with it for a long time now, but it does suck because if we want to keep stocking up on it like we have, then it's, it's going to cost us. Well, first and foremost, uh, I think that Boone County 14 at a price retail price tag of $200 is insane. Although, like I talked about it the first time around, uh, I kind of could tell it was going that direction with them just because they were the original, one of the original producers or bottlers of MGP right after Smooth Ambler started and, or stopped. And when they started out, they were at a higher price point, which is why Ed and I walked away from the barrel pick there um, because we didn't feel like the 10 barrels they gave us was worth $85 a bottle for, I think it was, I want to say it was 10 or 11 year at that point, which... Uh, Smooth Ambler was still doing picks of uh, up until 12, so it just wasn't worth it to us. And But like I said the first time around, just imagine, I mean, what's what was what's mic drop going for? I think those are around three, 350. And, you know, the mic drop, too, is, is trading for M20s now, which is just unheard of. Well, what is that retail, 150 bucks or 100 bucks? The first know. one or the second one? Either, so let's do the second one because that's the one that's really insane. I think the second one was like one fifty or something like that for the model. First so, one was like a hundred or something like that. So I guess it's insane to me because I started out buying it for sixty sixty five bucks a bottle, but in the grand scheme of things, I mean, if you're if people are willing to pay one hundred fifty for a bottle of blended MGP, why not charge another fifty dollars for a single barrel? 
and then it falls on the the shoulders of whoever's picking it uh who you who you believe in if you're willing to put two hundred dollars in their pallet, which a lot of people I'm not but depths depths and uh party source are pretty good at their picks, so I, I guess I would have to think about it, but at four hundred dollars uh trade or five hundred dollars almost on secondary markets doesn't really make yeah, much sense to hold on to it, yeah. But it's crazy to see what people are willing to really take what those values are really all the way going up to. It's just it's eye opening for sure. Who knows where this market is headed to? I mean, we've talked about this for the over the length of this podcast, you know, for over a year now. Like, what are the extent? You know, how far will this go? And to be honest with you, it's, it just keeps going further and further. I feel like every time I've thought that I've seen it all, something new comes along that just blows my mind. Like people paying five hundred bucks for a uh, for a uh, uh, Boone County fourteen single barrel. I mean that's yeah f- five hundred. It dropped a little bit since then, but they, a couple first couple. I mean they go for about five hundred. Uh, you're right about that. Yeah, I mean the in the traverse that we or the traverse that I did or our group did. Uh, I mean traded for GTSs and Thomas Handys yep. and I mean it's just yep. crazy. And then the second part of that question, which I asked the first time, is do you truly believe that the older MGP juice is that much better than the older st- or the younger stuff? And I think we both answered it pretty much exactly the same. I, I kind of went back to my go-to, which was, um, you know, eight-year, nine-year, ten-year smooth ambler, whether they were picks or just single barrels. Um it's hard to imagine anything being better than that. I mean, it may be a little bit, but <laughs> I mean, some of those were as good as it gets for me. So, and then the very few of the 14 and 13 year old MGPs that I had had certainly haven't been better. So, uh, I need to try more, but, uh, as for now, I would say that no, that they're not better. I would say that, uh, in general, when it came to smooth ambler stuff towards the end of their run, their 12-year-old stuff uh, started to not be as good to me as some of their younger stuff. Uh, I don't know if that's just the stocks they or the stock they bought or it just happened to be the bottles I tried. I don't know. I mean, obviously, I've had some good ones that are 12-year-olds that are really good, and I've had some of the 14-year-old stuff that's coming out now, and it's pretty good. It all seems to be a little more uh, lower-proof. I mean, most of the 14s I've seen have come out around 110, 109 proof. So you're not seeing the, the, the high proofs like you would in the younger stuff, which makes sense. Yeah, that's definitely the case. But to me, like I said the first time around, I don't believe I don't believe that any of it is worth the price that people are paying for it now. I just That's just me, though. I'm cheap. Yeah, I mean, it's all subjective, but I do agree with your comment. You know what I mean? Neither one of us are super rich, so we have to think about things like that. So in the, in the last part of this question, which uh, you, you had a really good answer for the first time, um, and we both have similar answers, but we'll go over it again just so the people know. Uh, who do you think's on the horizon for the next MGP bottler slash, I guess they're not producing it, but just bottler uh, labeler? Yeah, and I think I said something along the lines of, you know, um, you're a little bit more familiar with a lot of the smaller brands that are coming out now that are carrying uh, MGP stock and stuff. But from what I know and what I've personally tried and what I've heard, um, I'd probably have to go with the 
um, the Traverse City simply because, um, you know, they they just popped up, you know, within the last few months. Uh, their stuff, you know, that has compared to secondary markets has been going for crazy values. And then the reviews, and even what I've had myself, have been really, really good. So combine that with the fact that they have some uh, some NGP rye stock, too. I mean, that's super promising, and uh, they have a super high ceiling, kind of, in my opinion. Um, but I'll let you kind of speak on that as well. well what do you think? Uh, like I said the first time around, I would agree with that, is that they would be the next person I would see coming. I don't know how much Boone County has left. I know they ran through quite a bit of theirs, so they probably bought some more if I had to guess. Uh, but I do know that uh, some of the other bottlers that have MGP, like your uh, May- mayor, major mayor pedigrees, I think they're getting pretty short and they're using a lot of their stuff on uh, their blends. And I know that uh, Blom Brothers is essentially out of their stuff they're using for picks and they're just using in blends too. So, I mean, those guys are the ones, well, Blonde Brothers really is the one that exploded, was the next one. And now they're out of stock. So, and I know they're not looking to buy any more from what I understand. So I would say Traverse is probably the next, just like you did. Cause I know they have quite a bit left. Yeah, I'll tell you, those, and I've heard it, Blonde, when, whenever they put out, they really knocked it out the park. It's a shame that they didn't, you know, there was probably a decision that was made one time on the corporate ladder, and they decided to buy X many barrels from MGP, and somebody made a big mistake, and they should have bought a whole lot more, because I, I still see people talking about the Blonde Brothers picks, and I hear fantastic reviews about them. Well, I'd say from Blonde, the, uh, the, I don't know because I didn't ask, but from my uh, just being there, I'd say probably space was an issue when they bought. And after they bought, they didn't have the money to spend on the new stuff, I would say, or didn't want to because they had their own stuff coming out and their own stuff's pretty good. I mean, that's just my guess. I don't know for sure. So the next topic is going to be, well, We'll start out with Henry McKenna. Uh, what are your thoughts on Henry McKenna? I mean, this isn't the first time that it's been given a award uh, for something and exploded. I mean, that hasn't so far exploded on the secondary market as far as it's worth a lot of money, but it, it gets scarce. People are running out and buying it all of a sudden. Yeah, I, um, my experience with McKenna has been uh, I've had probably four or five or six uh, different of the single-barrel shelfer, their standard release. Um, and even though it's a single-barrel, the ones I've had, I haven't really cared for. Uh, you and I shared a uh, an older, I think it was Liquor Barn pick uh, with the Mungles one time. Uh, that was okay, and that was better than the uh, other releases I had had from the other single-barrels I had had. But just for me, it's just, you know, it's not bad for 25 bucks or 30 bucks, wherever it's at now. I'm sure it's gone up a little bit. Uh, but it's just not really my cup of tea. It's, I've never had one that really blew me away. Well, uh, from my standpoint, I don't know that I've ever had a ball and bonded that blew me away anyway. I mean, it's still, it's a hundred proof. It's proof down and it's a, a, a minimum of four years old, which means most of the time it's four years old. So it's not really going to knock your soft socks off in general, but it, it's a good solid drinker. And a good price tag if you can find it. The problem is, is now taters have a hold of it and they're going after it with both boars and they're stockpiling it. So 
I mean, they're probably not going to have a lot of it left anyway. I mean, they're still producing it, so you're going to have it for a while, but there's just not going to be much on the shelf right now anyway. Well, they can stock up on it all they want. I'm not interested in it. But wait till the shine goes off and it'll be right back on the shelf like it was last time. And that sort of leads us into our next question, which is the awards. Uh, I mean, we're back. Our first episode was about awards, uh, Jim Murray awards, and now you got Fred Minnick awards, and it's everybody's got an award. Everybody's winning silver and gold and double gold. What do you think about these awards? I mean, I, I'm not certain. I'm not again. I mean, some of the people giving the awards um, um, are interesting characters. Um, but it, it's nice. It's don't nice start getting PC hear. on me all of a sudden. Say what? I said, don't start getting PC on me all of a sudden. Right. Um, but, but it's nice to see certain whiskeys get recognition. Um, you know, there's been a couple that have been highly praised that I wasn't fans of, and that's kind of irritating. But, you know, everybody's palate's different and whatnot. But, um, you know, I'm not against people out there that are uh, big into the whiskey industry and they're, and they're putting out reviews and. You know, it's just uh, it's kind of a tricky situation um, in the sense that, well, some of the times it's it's something something like McKenna getting praised and people are going crazy over it, and it's just like um, it's like an eye roll. Uh, but then sometimes, you know, you know, like the first, like you said, the Murray, uh, the first four grain is pretty solid. You know, so it, it that that review shot it up in value a little bit, and and maybe that was deserved. Um, so yeah, I'm not against it. It's just like I said, the one thing that can be funny is. Um, some of the people that give the awards out. But. Well, I think some of them, uh, notwithstanding either the people we already talked about, uh, are pay for play type of things where they get, they pay the person who's reviewing it a little bit to get that uh, recognition. But I'm not saying that either people mentioned here do that. I'm just saying I, that's my belief, in my opinion, uh, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. But I will take a strong stance on saying awards are bullshit and. For the most part, you've I mean, the single barrel awards. I mean, especially with this one, Henry McKenna. I mean, they sent their best barrel they possibly could to them. So your best barrel as a the producer of Henry McKenna is better than the best barrel of some of these other people. Awesome. Does that mean that your shelf product is as good as everybody else's? Not necessarily. I'm sure Heaven Hill sent them something other than McKenna. That's probably how they won the award. Well, I'm not. Uh, I'm not going to uh, uh, accuse Heaven Hill of. Uh, oh, that was just a joke. But I, I don't know. That's just me. That's just me beating it up. That, was, like that was a statement by Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson made that statement. You can find him on Bluegrass BB and T. Oh my God! <laughs> <They're gonna laughs> cease and desist letter. Uh, so. Uh, Next topic that I want to talk about, uh, Kentucky Owl's new product, the confiscated and uh, confiscated and tatered or whatever they called it. Uh-huh. It kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? Yeah. I don't you, remember hearing about it, and then it popped up out of nowhere. I think it was because it was released nationally before they released it in Kentucky, which is pretty, it's like almost the opposite. Well, not necessarily the opposite, but I wasn't expecting that. So what do you think about a new Kentucky Owl product? Non-age stated, uh, one hundred twenty-five dollars. 
well, it's nice to see them doing something that, um, you know, didn't come in at $250 like they typically do. Uh, but like you said, it's the, the non-name statement. Um, it's kind of a cool story behind it and whatnot. Um, I guess they were super passionate about uh, the story behind it, and they wanted to have a special release for it. Um, you know, I have to try it, you know. I, I typically, some of the Kentucky Off stuff has been really, really good. A couple of things have been misses. Um, typically they put out a good product though I mean they kind of miss the market and you know miss the march as far as what they do in the market with their pricing sometimes but overall it's been a you know pretty solid pretty solid uh, brand uh, you know the, the Deadmans have a nice uh, tradition in, in bourbon and whatnot. Um, but I guess for me to speak on it a bunch I'd really like to try it so I think we need to find a way to get a sample of it <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure Dixon's it's listening to this. It's not been released in Kentucky yet here from what I know. So we'll just have to wait and see if it pops up. Maybe Woodman's has got some like they do the Kentucky Outlaw. You might see it in that uh, Wisconsin market. Uh, I was actually just looking at the podcasters page earlier, uh, and somebody posted in there about uh, about it and basically running them down and running down uh, – I mean, they didn't run down the podcasters, but they basically were saying they – weren't going to say anything negative about Dixon because they're friends or fans or whatever they call whatever he called them. And I know that those guys are friends with him, so they're not going to say anything negative about him. And for this release, I really don't have a problem with it for 125 bucks, $130. I feel like that's a, a sweet spot for them at most releases. And I feel like they would have sold a lot more uh, rye at that price too. Uh, so, I mean... I hate to say it, but I like I like their price point on this one, and I like I haven't had yeah. the product, but I do I do like that they brought it down to a reasonable level for this one. And if I'm not mistaken, it's still barrel strength, so uh, not that it's a crazy proof or anything like that. I mean, it's still it's got potential. So yeah, I'm, I look forward to I look forward to trying it. But they are going to produce. I mean, they I think they they see this product is a shelf product, a product that can be maintained and out there. And from what I understand, that may be incorrect. I don't know. I'm just going off of information that I've heard in the pages, which may or may not be correct. But if it is a shelf product, that's a little high for a shelf product, but most of their products yeah, are quality. One of the high, so, one of the highest. Yeah, but that's not insane. I mean, there's plenty of products out there that are 100 bucks. Honestly, if I saw one on the shelf tomorrow for one twenty-five, I'd probably buy it. Honestly, I mean, some of the wild turkey products that are out there are one fifty, and they're sitting on the shelf. They did not intend for those to be shelf products, but they are. Well, it's the same thing with that Kentucky Owl Rye. That's true. I think that's turned into a hundred and eighty-dollar shelf product because I just see them everywhere, and nobody's buying them because they priced it wrong. Are they down in Kentucky everywhere too? Absolutely. Huh. Interesting. I know I've got a couple places up here that they're still on the shelf. I have yet to pull the trigger. I guess we'll see when I get this bonus if I decide to take the leap and uh, pop a cap on something that's a little higher priced. I got plenty of uh, quality product here in my basement closet, a.k.a. the uh, the recording studio now. Yeah, yeah. So uh, next, pro next uh, topic which you and I went back and forth on earlier. This is going to be the last thing. Hopefully we can have a little bit of conversation on it. Cause I know you have a couple of questions, but 
I, there was a post by somebody, I'm not going to mention their name, but I like the idea of a discussion around it. It was basically saying that some blog or some podcasters uh, don't have uh, training to be a podcaster or a uh, interviewer. So they basically, they're not good at interviewing and they go off on tangents and it leads it off into places where they can't get back from. And there's just no, basically saying there's no training in podcasting and I mean, that was the gist of what he was saying and the person, whoever he was talking about, or maybe he was just speaking in general, uh, was not a good interviewer. So what my question is, there's a transition in my opinion from blogs, some written, written materials, websites to a certain extent, but websites are always going to be popular, but people don't really go to read an entire article a lot anymore. Or they do, but it's just not as plentiful as it used to. Sort of like a newspaper is going away, and they keep getting smaller and smaller. And you see an explosion of podcasts, such as this one and several others that I've mentioned in the past, uh, just being more popular and growing in popularity because basically anybody could do it. So what's your opinion uh, as far as this gentleman's opinion of the tr- the lack of training. Um, do you need training? Do you think you need training to be a podcaster? Uh, what's your opinion on my thoughts behind the uh, the transition from podcast or from uh, blogs or written word to podcasting? Well, yeah. So, like, as far as like bourbon journalism or blogging and how how much more you see. Um, everything going into like a podcast or more of a simpler form um, to get your information. I mean, that just speaks on kind of where we are as just a general society, in my opinion. Uh, everybody wants what's easier, what's faster. Um, so, I mean, that that's, that that makes perfect sense that, that podcasts are popping up everywhere. Uh, and I think that uh, all podcasts are different, and they all have different um different, uh, they serve different purposes, you know, some people are after it for, very few of them, but some of them are after it for monetary reasons, um, some people maybe they want to uh, be able to gain fame from it, uh, I know that, you know, when I agreed to kind of jump on board half, at least half of the time with this, uh, it was just about, you know, you living in Wisconsin, us being able to chit-chat about bourbon, maybe a couple times a month, and and we could uh, publicize it. And if people listen to it, they do. If they don't, who gives a shit? You and I are still sitting around talking bourbon for a little bit, uh, which is something we don't get to do as much as we would like to do, uh, with you being further away. So I don't think it matters, you know, what your skill or talent level is. Hell, I'm I'm probably a horrible podcaster, but, I mean, I know a little bit about bourbon, so I can sit here and talk with you about it, and we can record it. Um, So it doesn't really bother me. Uh, if people don't like it, um, because ultimately I'm sitting around chatting with a buddy. So for me, I'm, I'm good. Well, uh, my opinion is, and like I, like you said, I, I started this because it was just to screw around. I mean, I never, even the song we started off as our intro music was stolen and, Somebody said uh, we should change that if we ever wanted to monetize this thing. I never in my wildest dream considered monetizing this thing. And I've spent a lot of money on equipment. So (laughs) if I could, I don't know if I would or not. But uh, I think the 
attraction of podcasts are the lack of training because people aren't all doing the same thing. Like you said, everybody's doing different stuff. Dad's drinking bourbon, do blind tastings most of the time, or a lot of the time, not anymore. They're doing a lot more interviews too. And then you have the podcasters who do a lot of uh, reviews and then they do a lot of blind tastings and they interview people. And then this one, we do a lot more interviews and talking than we do tasting. So, I mean, everybody's got their own thing. Training, I think, is just people who have training want to call out other people for not having training because they have it, so there has to be a need to it for it. And if there isn't a need for it, then they got it for no reason. That's my opinion. And I already stated my opinion on written word versus uh uh, podcasting, I think that's just the the new way. I mean, it's a lot more easily consumable medium to just sit and listen in your car for a half hour than it is to sit down and read. Now, reviews are always going to be there. People are always going to read reviews just because they want to hear what other people have to say about whiskeys. But in general, I think the blog is going away for the most part and being replaced by podcasts. But that's just my opinion. Shout out to people like uh, Bourbon Review for still putting good journalism together and a good magazine together. My buddy Seth Thompson uh, co-runs that magazine. He's, I've known that guy for like 15 years. He's a killer dude. I love that magazine. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's it's you know it's harder. You know, it's, there's not quite much of a market in this board because it's you know it's you can better sit down and read it. You know, it's not just one one press on your phone and it's right there. It's not easy access. Seth is a good dude. I met him a couple times with uh, uh, um, Victor. He came up with Victor to the uh, beer trap a couple times. So I, uh, that's all I have. Uh, you actually had a couple of questions you want to ask me uh, to sort of close it out. So why don't you go ahead and shoot those towards me? Yeah, well, I just thought... Um... First one's not really a question to you, but I thought, you know, um, when we decided that we were going to plug on uh, a podcast in tonight, I thought, you know, I had seen on our cost and shipping groups, I've seen it on um, on almost every, our local groups, almost every group, everybody's talking about um, the Four Roses Small Batch Select, so that, that comes out tomorrow, um, there's a lot of talk about it, um, it's going to be a new regular uh, shelf product at around like 50 or uh, $59, $60-ish. Um, and I just think, uh, I think it'll be nice to have something like that. It's got a proof of around like 103 or 104. So I'm, I'm glad that it'll be um, a little bit higher proof from their regular small batch because I was not a fan of their regular small batch. Plus it has a different combination, uh, I believe, of their recipes. So I just think it's a cool, um, I think it's a cool little new release that's popped up and how we talked about Confiscator earlier, how that's, they're going to try to, I think I was going to try to have that be possibly a, uh, a, sh- uh, a regular shelf item. Uh, I know that's definitely what Four Roses is trying to do with that new small batch select. So I'm interested to try that. I'd love to get a bottle of it and pop it open. You know, I, I'm a Four Roses guy. Um, so I'd be, I'd be interested in, in getting a hold of that. Didn't they release that at the distillery today? I think what they did is, I think it's released tomorrow morning. And what they did is they released it tonight at the distillery for like a, uh, they had a mellow moments party. Oh, and 
and invited a couple hundred members and threw a big party and they opened up and all those people were able to buy some. So you're seeing like people had them already. But those are people that were at like an, a, a, an event tonight. I believe if you start to start being at the gift shop tomorrow morning and then they'll probably roll out on the, on the shelves in a couple of weeks, I'm guessing. Of course, I don't know that for sure. You couldn't but go I, to the. I do think it is hitting gift shop in the morning. You couldn't go to the door and flash your lapel pin and get in. You know, I take out my lapel pin with the ever just in case I need it, or in case I, or in case I bump into Al Young. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right, that's your that's your statement. Maybe you should have waited to give that to the uh, to for your closing statement. But I know you had a question, yeah, or a yes. topic. Um, well, this this is something I thought about a couple of days ago. Um, you know, I think I was just staring at my my bunker and and I was just just thinking about you know the evolution kind of of bourbon um, collecting and obsession and and, you know, your favorite drinkers and stuff like that. And I, and I thought that it would be a cool question to kind of ask you and maybe even answer it on myself. But, you know, for me, when I kind of first got into bourbon, of course, you know, the first several months are, are about, you know, just completely exploring everything. But eventually you kind of find a, a brand, a, a specific brand, maybe even two brands that you really fall in love with. And uh, you, you start to drink as much of it as you can, sample as many of them as you possibly can, and then, you know, collect them. So for me, uh, you know, in the beginning, it was uh, OWA and OWA picks. I really took a liking to those, and I bought as many of them as I could, and I tried to get as many as I could and try as many of the different picks. And um, and even though I still love OWA to this day, uh, it's funny just how your priorities kind of change and your palate develops, and you kind of go from one, you know, loving and collecting one or two brands to, um, you know, moving on to different brands. Um, and it's just funny how, how, you know, your palate changes and how that goes. So my, kind of just my question to you is the same for you. Uh, you know, I obviously know what kind of brands that you like now. But when you first started out, was there, uh, you know, before Smooth Ambler, because we all know about how you went Smooth Ambler crazy, was there something maybe before Smooth Ambler that you really loved and you collected a lot of and then you kind of maybe grew out of it? Uh <clears throat> Smooth Ambler, ten year old, was the first bottle of whiskey I ever purchased. So that was there was nothing before Smooth Ambler. Um, but there has been a couple products that I was actually looking at my shelf earlier just to say, you know, what have I? What did I buy originally that I have still that uh, I enjoyed initially, but not so much a go to anymore? And one of the major things that jumped out to me was Elmer T. Lee. I mean, that was something. I used to have, at one point I had like 12 bottles of it and it was almost used as currency, but I also like to drink it. And now I have a bottle that's three fourths of the way full that I probably haven't touched in two years. And it just, the first time I had it, I was like, man, this is amazing. It's got so much flavor behind the heat. It was different. And then I just fell in love with MGP products and that took over for the most part. Um, to a lesser, two were completely different profiles. Holy shit! It in seventeen, in seventeen ninety two B or seventeen seventeen <laughs> seventeen ninety two uh, came into the picture, and that became like my second favorite uh, go to mixer, and then foolproof became one of my go to drinkers, and then I had a little bit of uh, Blanton's. Blanton's Gold, I really liked for a while, and I still do like Blanton's Gold and Green, but it's just not my go-to anymore. Let's see, what else do I have in here? That... 
And Rock. that blows me away that you that you like that Blanton's Green, which is being such a low proofer. That's why I liked it, especially when I first got into drinking. That was one of the first things I really liked because it was. I mean, when I first started, I couldn't drink high proof stuff without having ice cubes and anything in it was anything blew me up, just lit me up. And now I'm drinking 142 hazmats and I'm fine. But it just that's my evolution of my palate. I mean, I started off liking the low proof stuff. I mean, the first Russells I had, I didn't really like. I didn't like Four Roses single barrel or Four Roses period, really. And that's I've evolved to like that, too. It just all kinds of stuff that I, I didn't like George T. Stagg Jr. at all when I first got it. And the last one I had was pretty decent. So, I mean, I, I guess I would say for the most part, Elmer T. Lee is the major one. Probably Rock Hill Farms. I liked when I first got into bourbon and I don't, it just fallen the wayside more or less. It's not something I don't, dis, I, I dislike. It's just something that I don't reach for anymore. I mean, that's a good answer. I'm, I've never been an Edward Lee fan. So, and it certainly has like a presence around it when you come in the boat and you're, I mean, it's hard to acquire. Some people think it's really, really good. And so, you know, if you're new in the bourbon and you're just drinking it, you're like, oh man, this is, this is a cool bottle or this is da 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 But man, once you start trying good juice, you're like, oh, that's going to be awful. Well, when I first got into doing the bourbon pages for the most part, I just went hard in the raffles. And I won jack shit until about 50 raffles in. Then I just exploded winning. And one of the things I won a lot of was Elmer T. Lee. I did win a, old, a very old Scout 11, too, that I was pretty happy to get. And I opened. So that that was my early yeah, that would be a nice one. achievements. All right. Well, we're right about the time that uh, I like to have these. Um, so... Do you have any closing statements uh, since you already used your uh, Four Roses Select? Do you have anything else you'd like to say? I don't have anything written down, man, but it's just nice to be on here again with you. Once you get on here and do another one the next week or two, for sure. Yeah, we need uh, to start look looking for topics. In a few weeks. Memorial oh. Day weekend, we'll have to make sure we get together. One last question I'd like yeah. to ask you before we close this out. Um, that I asked Kevin I thought was an interesting question. What do you think a tater is? Oh, wow. I know I popped it on you. No, no. I just think that there's a, maybe a couple different versions of it. It's such a general term. It's almost just like for me, and it may, and, and some people could even tell me that this is not the correct definition. But for me, a tater is just a bourbon douchebag, and there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, there's, you know, you can be a douchebag by the way that you handle yourself or the way that you maybe don't open bottles and only sell them, or there's a lot of different ways to be a douchebag in life, or there's a lot of different ways to be a douchebag in the bourbon pages. And, uh, for me, I think some people use taters specifically for doing one thing, like in the bourbon world, but for me, a tater is just a, a bourbon douchebag, essentially. So yours is more of a personality thing than it is an actual, uh, drinking of whiskey. Yeah, it's just a more yeah, just a more common term for me to if somebody just is, just does something taterish, you know, just something stupid and douchey. Like it's just. See, I think that's why I asked yeah, you that question. That's what is, it means to me. Because I think a lot of people have different definitions. My definition, as I've said in the Kevin Ming episode, is it's somebody who overpays for mediocre whiskey. That's pretty much what I consider I, a tater. I 
And I would say that that's very caterish. Absolutely. I would, uh, I would definitely use that for that term. I, I would also say something, somebody who, who, who goes to every, you know, who bugs this, bugs all the store owners to try to get bottles and follows trucks. Like that may not be your t- uh, term at all for tater, but for me, that's a tater for sure. Just, just being a douchebag, man. Just, just, uh, I don't know. There's a right and a wrong way to do this. You know what I mean? Open your bottles, sell some bottles if you have to sometimes in a box, but open your bottles, share them with friends, do favors for people, share pours. I mean, all this stuff, it's easy. Good answer. That's, uh, I mean, that's interesting that you found it to be more of a uh, personality thing than a, than a actual drinking, but that's, like I was saying, I mean, or that's my point. I might be a, a question I ask people every time they come on who's people, not obviously not distillers, because that could be something like, what's your, what's the first pour? I mean, what do you think a tater is? It's, you everybody ask, have a different Every guess that is their final question. Yeah. Every guess that is their final question. All right. Uh, well, we're right at that time, and that last one put us over. So, uh, do you have anything you'd like to say in closing, or oh, you don't? We already asked that question, so we yep, will. Thank you for everything. We'll sign off, and I'll say, uh, enjoy your pours and enjoy your family. Talk to you later, peeps. Cheers, cheers, guys.